0: rest of the things the bible says you are so today's message is you are dot 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 and i'm going to begin to fill in the blanks of what you are today now we're not talking about you are good looking you are a woman you are a man this is something that applies to everybody amen so you are everybody say amen Amen. so let's start in ephesians chapter 2 you are saved so where was uh, the roof for our Sunday message, the, the highest place we went, now is the foundation for this message. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to talk about how you are saved by grace. And I want to build on this foundation because everything you're going to receive from this point on is by grace. It's never going to be, by, even though you will work, but you are being worked to do the work. Think about that. It's not even you who's working out your own salvation. It's Christ working it out through you. So you are working, but it's Christ working in you and through you. So you're never going to take credit. You're not even going to take credit for the ministry, the fasting that you do during this time. You can't take credit for any of it because it's Christ in you. Amen? So never forget that it's by grace. But look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Somebody say, I'm saved. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and, sin, and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of air. The Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. So everybody say, I was lost. Everybody say, I was a sinner. Everybody say, I was disobedient. Amen. Verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Everybody say, I was an object of wrath. That is what you were, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Somebody say, He's rich in mercy. Somebody say, God ain't Paul in mercy. Somebody say he's rich. He's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And then you continue on. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, and then look as it keeps going, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, so in Christ Jesus, we do the good works, outside of Christ Jesus, we can't do it, so in Christ Jesus, he's given us the power, the ability to even do all the good works, we've been doing, which God prepared in advance for us to do, so the first thing that I want you to know, today that you are saved. You are no longer an object of God's wrath. So don't let condemnation come into your life. Imagine when you were a sinner at your worst, God loved you as much as he loved you when you when you were a Christian at your best. Think about that. There was a time as a sinner you did something that just was disgusting. Thinking about it right now may even disgust you. Maybe it was in some type of a relationship. Maybe it was a crime. Maybe it was a lie. Maybe it was a fight that you were in. Now think of as a Christian, maybe that that best day that you had. Maybe you went on a mission trip. Maybe you were helping the poor. Maybe you went out and made a disciple, okay? God's love never changed from the day you were the worst of all sinners to when you were the best as a Christian. His love never changed. The only difference was is that you got saved, that you accepted his love and got out from under his wrath. But don't let condemnation come back into your life. So now that you are serving God and you are putting God first, if you make a mistake, don't go into guilt and shame. Come on. Amen. Let God forgive you. You said, Pastor, you said the word let. Yes, you have to let God forgive you. You have to let Him. Because if you keep beating yourself up, you actually will not receive forgiveness. When you receive forgiveness, there is a clearing of your conscience, a washing of your hands, a purifying of your heart. So if you're still walking around in condemnation, you're actually not receiving the salvation or the forgiveness of God. When people used to say in the olden times, I still feel like I'm a sinner, they used to say, go back up into that altar until you know that you know that you're saved, until you have the assurance of God that you're saved. And that was called tarrying with sinners in the, in the place of, of the altar. They would sit in the uh, inquiry bench, and in the seeking bench, and they would seek the Lord until they knew that they were saved. That's how Charles Finney went out into a, a woods and said, I'm still guilt-ridden. Even though I go to church and I've said their little prayers, I'm still burdened with my guilt of my own sin. And he went out there and he really experienced what regeneration is. When you experience freedom, you're no longer a sinner. Well, this same type of uh, guilt can come on you in a form of condemnation, not just conviction, not just where it's like, you know, you were in the dorms, and you, you lusted, and God is convicting you, and He's grieving your heart. Okay, that's one thing. That leads you to repentance, and the Bible says godly sorrow brings forth life. It brings forth life, and it doesn't bring forth a depression. But I'm talking about maybe after you ask for forgiveness over your attitude towards somebody or the mistake you made, and now you still feel guilty. And now you begin to hear these thoughts inside your head. Well, maybe I'm not qualified to be a minister. Maybe I can't serve the Lord anymore. Maybe this is not what I'm supposed to do. You know, that is the voice of condemnation. And the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ so you need to build on the foundation that you're saved if you can't believe that God can save and keep you how are you going to preach to someone else that God can save and keep them and many times we actually find it easier. It's easier for us to go preach to the homeless person and go say to him, I know God can save you. He could have just been laying in his own urine. He could have been lusting after every woman down the street. He could have a charge in his life of being a rapist. And you're going to go out there and say to that homeless guy, no, Listen. Listen, God really loves you. You can be forgiven. You'll have so much compassion, but then you'll make a mistake, you'll have an issue, and then you'll begin to beat yourself up and say, I should know better because I keep messing up. I'm not worthy of being saved. I'm not worthy of being in the ministry. Why do I even try? I'm not, I'm not what other people are. Pastor Joe, he makes it look easier. Other people make it look, man, this is not what I'm supposed to be. The devil's a liar. You need to say at that time the doctrine of salvation. You need to say, I am saved. I am saved. I'm going to heaven. I am loved by God. I have accepted Him into my life. I've confessed His name. He is my Lord. I desire Him. And that's why the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. So that fear of punishment, that fear that you are going to be judged even after you've been forgiven, is not a godly fear of the Lord. You should fear God too be a repentive if you've sinned. You know, get a heart to repent. You should fear God and go, man, I better get this right. But if you've made it right, if you've really repented and you're dealing with condemnation, that is an ungodly fear. That is a fear that will keep you from being close to God. And then it will bring you to condemnation and you won't want to be in God's presence anymore because you'll feel so guilty and afraid. Like Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they ran away from God. And so many times when we don't allow God to forgive us and we begin to feel guilty and we begin to feel ashamed. Now we don't want to be around God because the the devil's convinced us that God doesn't love us, that God can't help us. But you need to believe the doctrine of salvation, that you are saved. And you cannot lose your salvation like you lose a set of keys. We believe that a person can walk away from God, and there is a possibility to, quote, unquote, lose your salvation. But it's really you hand back your salvation. It's not a losing like you lost it. So you're not going to wake up one day and go, I was saved yesterday. What happened to it? Is my salvation around here somewhere? Have you seen my salvation? I think that I've lost it. You're not going to do that with your salvation. For you to lose your salvation, you have to give it back. That means you have to reject Christ. That means you have to willfully continue in sin and walk away from the Lord. So that means as long as your heart is repentant, as long as you're confessing Him as Lord, as long as you are desiring to walk with God, all of your sins can be forgiven because in God's economy, in God's business, the cross already forgave them. All you're doing is just having the payment applied to your debt once again. It would be like someone gave me a million dollars. They said, put it towards any debt you occur in life. So anytime I pay on my American Express card the uh, $10,000 for a new car, I can just take that million dollars and now just put it right towards that debt because my debts have already been paid. And that's how it works out with Jesus. Anytime you sin and you get in debt, he says, my blood from the cross already is paid for it. Just apply it to your sin and let god forgive you by faith and love believe that god is forgiven you have faith that he still cares for you that he hasn't rejected you that your sin is forgiven and by his love the fear of judgment leaves the fear of him not being a, a good god leaves you because when you meet some people they don't have a genuine heart of repentance And that's what keeps them from God. And now here you are with a genuine heart of repentance, but you don't think that's enough. That is enough. God is not asking for more. And that's when the Roman Catholic Church went off in the wrong direction. They said, no, now you have to do penance. Now you have to whip yourself. Now you have to say so many Hail Marys. Now you have to say so many Our Fathers. Did anybody here ever go to confession and was given penance? Does anybody know what I'm talking about, a few of you here? That's what happened. That's what they told you, right? What was your penance? What was an example of something they gave you to do? Ten Hail Marys, ten Our Fathers. There it is. So many of you got the Our Fathers and the Hail Marys. Well, there you go. And you see, because now repentance is not enough. And then you begin to think to yourself, well, I have to fast and pray. Every person, and look up at me, every person I've ever met that wanted to do more with that heart never received it. Never, never. There are people that some of you have known come in this church and they say, I still don't feel God forgives me. I feel he's calling me to fast all the time and I have to fast all the time. They would fast all the time and still not feel forgiven. Oh, I don't feel God loves me unless I go out and preach. I have to go out and preach. I have to go out and preach. And you watch those people go out and preach, and they still backslide. Because it doesn't come through those things. Your true, genuine repentance is enough. That's it. And just see it in 1 John chapter 2. Believe it today. 1 John chapter 2 talks about how to deal with sin. Not lightly. Not as a joke but genuinely, and then you're forgiven. My dear children, chapter 2, verse 1 of First John, I write this to you that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what do we do? I write this to you that you don't sin. So everyone here, ...should not want to sin. And you should take sin seriously, because some sins, though all sins are equal in God's world, in God's economy... ...some sins do carry consequences in the church and in the world. You know, you commit murder, you're going to have a consequence. You get angry and curse out somebody, well, the consequence is not the same. But both is considered as murder, okay? So take sin seriously. And there are sins that can disqualify you from ministry. So you need to be serious about sin. But here's the deal... When you commit a sin, you repent before God, and you go to your advocate. That's it. That's it. You're forgiven. Now, if there's a consequence for the law that you've broken, then you need to go through that consequence. If it disqualifies you in the church and the discipline, go through that. But you need to let God forgive you. Somebody say, I'm saved. Amen. The next thing that you are is you are saved, and you are sanctified. Come on, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. Somebody say, I'm saved and sanctified. Say like I'm saved and sanctified. There you go. Say it with a little southern twist on you. Come on. Saved and sanctified. Listen to this scripture. Let it encourage you today. And you know what? As I read these things out, I want you to stand if you are the things that it talks about. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. If you were ever sexually immoral, stand up. That's pretty much everybody now. <laughs> See, Paul knew where to start with. And then maybe like shake a leg if it comes next. Nor idolaters. If you ever suffered from idolatry, say amen. Uh, any adulterers. Did you ever have sex outside of marriage? Say amen. Is anybody here a male prostitute? Okay. This, this might be tough, but some might have to confess. Anybody ever struggle with homosexuality? Okay. Amen. Somebody say amen. Those who struggled with it. Anybody struggle with stealing? Amen. Anybody here with greedy? Anybody here a drunkard? Amen. Anybody here a slanderer was a slanderer? Anybody here a, was a swindler? That means you cheated people. I did, amen, will inherit the kingdom of God. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Now, how many of you have been sanctified? How many have been washed? How many have been justified? Amen. You may be seated. You see, your life has been forever changed. What does salvation mean? Salvation means you're saved from sin. And by being saved from sin, you're saved from the penalty of sin. That's the judgment of sin from hell. You're saved from the power of sin. That means you no longer are going to be led by sin. And you're saved from the presence of sin. That means sin will no longer be in your spirit, but you are filled with the Holy Ghost. So you are saved from sin, the power, presence, and penalty of sin. And now you have been sanctified. And sanctified means to be made holy. And in the assembly of God, we hold to a very true sense of sanctification, very similar to the Wesleyans, and that means we are sanctified at salvation, there is a cleansing, there is a changing, at that moment we never have to sin again, we've been totally washed clean, because sanctified means washed clean, to be set apart, to be made holy. And then also we believe in a continual sanctification, that God continues to change our stinking thinking from where the root of sin comes from. Within our soul, we have the desire of lust, as the book of James says. And then from our soul, we lust for these things that the Bible calls sin. When we want those things that we've lusted after, sin comes forth. Then when we give in to sin, sin brings death. And so that is what you are being sanctified from every day, is the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And so today, you need to let God continue to sanctify you. So not only asking for forgiveness and grace when you sin, but asking for grace not to sin. You know the areas you struggle in. Trust me, they're not really going to change for the rest of your life. I've been doing this for 15 years. And my three areas are pretty simple. Sexual perversion, anger, and then the lack of patience or doing it my way, the pride of my own life, doing it my way. There they are. You know, jealousy has come and gone, but I'm generally not a jealous person. I do sense it coming into my life, but genuinely I'm pretty self-supporting uh, of other people. I love them. Uh, I'm not really greedy. Greed does not come into my life. I genuinely don't uh, deal with that stealing, uh, homosexuality. Those aren't things I deal with. Just those three things. Those three things right there. So if you ever, you know, see me struggling that or confessing, you don't have to go, Hey, I think I found out Joe's, Joe's issues. No, Joe's confessed to you his issues. Okay, I've told you what my issues are. The, the struggling with lust as a man would not with uh, sexual sin by myself with pornography but just taking a look at someone other than my wife and desiring that person always battling against that asking god for grace and to sanctify me from the, the memories of the past from uh temptations that rise up in my life then from anger to be easily angered it, it comes natural to me it's a part of my my nature people love our, our passion at this church and people love the way i preach and an older couple came and said uh, you know we've been looking for a church and the way you preach is just awesome well it's an intense style of preaching well that just means that i don't have a lot of patience and and kindness that comes naturally what comes naturally is intensity and boldness so i have to pray against being angry and not being kind but how many know you have a gentle pastor a kind pastor A pastor who loves you and cares for you. And that's who I am. So that's the doctrine of who I am. I'm sanctified from my anger. And then also that pride of life that says... When I don't see God doing it and I lack patience, I want to do it on my own. I want to make it happen. I want to take things into my own hand. And the Bible says that if you do that, that's the pride of life. That when you don't let the Lord do it, and you see people who've lost kingdoms that way. You see Saul lost his kingdom when he took it in his own hands to sacrifice when Samuel told him not to. He lost the whole kingdom. You see Moses, out of his own anger and lack of patience, struck the rock and he didn't get to live in the promised land and so those are the areas you can pray for in my life write down three areas in your life that you know that that that's where you struggle in that that's where that's where your battle's at well be honest and begin to believe the doctrine about what god says you are that you're being sanctified that you are going to win the fight that God will change you. And I can see in my life areas of victory and each one of those areas of struggle. I can see that I am not as quick to lust or give a second look or to have an imagination as I was when I first got saved. I can see that I am nowhere near the angry person or the, uh, the non-kind gentle person that I was when I first got saved. I, if you think that I'm tough now, you don't know me 15, you know, 20, uh, 15, 20 years ago. Well, 20 when I was not saved. But 10, 15 years ago. And certainly I'm learning to be patient with the Lord. This whole building project was almost done without my hands involved in it. And I had to learn to trust God that when people were here doing the work, It was being done. That was the first time it's really ever been done that way. From back at the church on diversity, I was there when we built the sound booth, the cafe, the painted of the walls, the shed in the back, the lights in the ceiling. You know, I'm telling you, I was there for every part of it. This time, I was hardly here for any of it. Because God told me it wasn't for me to do, but it was for the people of God to do. And that I was to do my part, which was to get out to India and win souls for Jesus. And how many are glad we each do our part. So the sanctification that God is doing in your life is for your benefit. That means God wants you to be clean more than you want to be clean. So when you stumble and fall, don't go back into that guilt, but stand on the the salvation that you have and begin to ask the Lord to sanctify you and begin to speak words of encouragement over yourself. Encourage yourself and say, that's not who I am. Lord, I'm asking for forgiveness because I sinned the sin of lust, but Lord, I know that's not who you made me to be. That's who I was. You washed me from being sexually immoral. I am a married man, I am a celibate only uh what is that celibate um, I'm not definitely not celibate monogamous thank you. I, my wife helped me out there. I am a monogamous man. I am not a polygamous man. I do not need multiple partners. I'm not easily angered. I'm uh, quick to listen, slow to speak. Begin to speak words over your life. Begin to believe what God said you were. You are saved and you are sanctified. And everybody say, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. (laughs) Amen. Just turn with me now to Acts chapter 2. We know in Acts chapter 1 that the Bible says that the Holy Ghost will come upon you and you will receive power. But just be reminded of it again today. I know you know this in Acts chapter 2, but let's just look at it. The disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, it's for everybody. It's for you today. Uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and it came to rest on each of them. Somebody say, it's for me. Verse 4, all of them. Some may say, I'm part of all of them. Amen. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And just to give you sound doctrine to that, Peter addresses the crowd in verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Some may say, I'm a part of all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, all the women said amen. Amen. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Today, those of you, and I know because I can say this because I know your testimony, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. He is in you. That needs to be a belief that you have, a solid doctrine in your mind. I am filled with the Holy Ghost and power. I am filled with the Holy Ghost and His fire. I can do what God tells me to do. I can speak in tongues and spiritual language and prophesy over people's lives. I can cast out demons. I am not playing make-believe at the... uh, Comic-Con conference in California when all these comic book people come out who like these comic books and they dress up like Superman and they dress up like Wonder Woman. You are not playing role-playing. You're not make-believing. You're not like those who came down for the uh, anime conference here at Rosemont Park where Josh used to be a part of, you know, spiking their hair and putting on outfits to look like Pokemon. I'm being serious. Remember we saw that looked like Halloween out there. It was a conference for the anime people and they, you know, were pretending to be Pokemon and these things. That is not who you are. You are genuinely, really filled with the Holy Ghost and power. You really have power on the inside of you. If you've ever doubted that, you're actually doubting the very power of God. Once again, you may look at yourself and say, well, I'm not very powerful. I'm not very bold. I'm not very strong. But there's a power on the inside of you that is stronger than this entire universe. And I remember this, because I went to the Argentine uh, pastors who came out to uh, Minneapolis, and I saw them cashing out demons and signs and wonders in Carlos and Acondia. And when you would preach, you know, he was a smaller Latino gentleman. You know, sacanaz, sacanaz, fuego, fuego, fuego. And that's how he preached, ah, like this, ah. And he just said, Fuego! You know, Satanas! And he would just skip down and go, Satanas! Literally, that's how he did it. I'm sorry, I don't know if all Latinos do that, but that's how he just Fuego! Fuego! El nombre de Cristo! And that's how they preached, okay? And so I, you love it, amen? See, well, that's how you want Jared to preach. Fuego! And so that's how they were preaching. And so I was excited. And then this is what I found out. Martha Lesburn, she is now a home back from mission work in Argentina. And she's working with Brother Anthony right now, starting Latino churches all over New Orleans because of the Hurricane Katrina. There's a mass influx of Latinos, and God is using her right now. And so I heard about her on her uh itinerant journey to raise money so she could go back to argentina and so i asked her to come and uh, i'll just describe her to you in the way that i would see her and i don't want you to take this offensive ladies but i just want you to understand she's the opposite of what i thought of she came she was a little bigger of a woman she wasn't very attractive she didn't have all the nice clothes she may look at this and go dear lord what's wrong with that pastor but i just want to tell you so she wasn't an attractive woman she wasn't like paula white in these uh workout videos you know like trying to sell this as infomercials. She didn't look like a televangelist wife. She was just an ordinary woman, a little bit bigger, a little bit heavy set. Didn't really spend a lot of time on the external appearances. When she preached, she didn't preach anything like how Carlos and Acondia preach. She came, she just shared her message. Of course she had love. She was a woman who loved God, shared a lot of her stories and testimonies and it was just awesome. And there were some visitors in the church that had come. Our church at that time maybe had about 30, 40 people in and out very big, And she just said, I'm going to do an altar call. Whoever wants Jesus, you can come on up. And this young man came on up to get saved. He was like 18, 19 years old, comes up to get saved. And as she comes just to lay her hands on him, Aah! he starts manifesting a demon. And then she simply just says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out, you foul spirit. And she's, she sets this man free right there in front of all of us. And our jaws just drop. And then she just keeps on moving and keeps praying. Like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. Like it was just, man, so normal to her. And then so afterwards, like I'm like, I'm like a, like a, like a puppy. You know, like explain this to me. What did you do? How did you do this? What's going on? Explain it. What is this? And she was saying, this is real, man. She says, God is on the inside of us. She said, God is on the inside of me. When I pray for them in the name of Jesus, I believe it. Demons have to flee. I want to tell you, something, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. Look at Reinhard Bonnke. He looks nothing like Adolfo. He does not look studly. He does not look cuddly. As a matter of fact, it looks like he's a little cross-eyed. you know that George Whitfield was cross-eyed? Cross-eyed. I don't even want to try to do it up here, because my eyes might stay that way, my mom told me. But if you look at the pictures of, of the encyclopedia of George Winfield he's cross-eyed, literally. And, and he was a man of great power. Uh, Reinhard Bonnke definitely is not the most beautiful one of the bunch. And exact opposite, when, when you talk about the ugly stick, it looked like he got whooped with it. Like whooped with it. <laughs> And it looks like that may be what Paul was talking about, a thorn in the flesh. It's almost like he's almost unattractive to even look at. You know what I'm saying? And he kind of preaches like, listen, God, and he just kind of like drools on himself. And it's just, you just don't get it. In this age, in this age of what we put up like the Obamas, these sharp looking, you know, people who speak with perfect eloquence, we think that that's how Paul was. I guarantee you, I think Paul looked exactly like Reinhard Bonnke. I promise you. I promise you, you see, we we in the modern age, we think power is looking like, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and whoever is the rock, these new ones that are always coming out, you know, Vin Diesel. We think that that's how we have to look, and that means we have power. That means nothing. God uses those who have faith in his power, and God will use the least of us. And all jokes aside, look at what Reinhard Bonnke is doing. Look at the power of God flowing through his ministry. Look what God can do through people just like you and I. Amen? I thank God for that. He reaches more people than any televangelist, and he doesn't have that look. I praise God because that gives me hope because I know I don't have that look. Amen? Maybe I didn't get hit as many times as he did, but I think I got hit a few times. Amen? Amen? Praise God. I can be honest with myself. All right. The next thing is that you are called into ministry. Somebody say, I'm called. Mark chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 says, but he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. You see, say, Jesus wants me. Say it again. Say, Jesus wants me. Amen. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with Him, and then He might send them out to preach. How many were called by God to preach? I know all of us are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost in power. We teach that to the plumber, the baker, the candlestick maker, and everybody in between. I believe that Andrew is called to preach, who's a, a plumber in our church. I believe that Ricky, who's a Chicago police officer, is called to preach. I believe that businessmen, we have people who own restaurants, people who are in the restaurant business, called to preach, filled with the Holy Ghost. But this is a separate calling. This is a calling to devote your life to preaching and teaching, to equipping people in the ministry. We would call this the fivefold. ministry. Ministry, as it's mentioned in Ephesians 4, uh, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the pastor, the evangelist, this is a calling. Now each one of you, once again, because I know who you are, I know you have been called, I know that each one of you can take me to a time and a place where you heard God call you. You can never forget that. For me, it was when I was in a nursing home. I knew that I was saved. I knew that God was sanctify me. I knew that I was filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, but I was dropping off pizzas. I didn't know what I was going to do in life. I had no clue of what I was going to do. And as I was dropping off those pizzas, God told me to reach out my hand and touch an old woman. I did. Somebody told me not to. They said, she's going to bite you. I said, I don't care. And I shook her hand. I said, Jesus loves you. And you know the story, but I'm saying it for those listening who have never heard it. And then I went to my car, sat down, and God said, I have called you to touch hurting people. And I, that is what you're going to do. And people will try to tell you not to do it, but you keep reaching out and touching them. And at that moment, I knew I was called. And you know when God is speaking to you, tears were coming down my eyes in that parking lot of that nursing home. And I knew what a special time, even as I remember now. What a special time. I knew that God was speaking to me. Even today, it's encouragement to remember that time to never forget that. And that was by myself, and so it's not always with people. But then I went to a vineyard worship conference, and back then, you know, uh, the vineyard worship was the bee's knees. That's where it was at, baby. You wanted to be with the vineyard folks because they were writing all those songs. Jesus, holy and anointed one, you know, come light the fire, get in my heart. And they were giving the songs at the Toronto Blessing, and and, uh, the Brownsville Outpouring uh, Revival was using their songs with Lyndall Cooley. And uh, now is the time, you know, all of these songs that we have sung even here in this church. And so I go to this worship conference and they had a pastor who was an urban church planner. I can't remember what city. It was either Cleveland or Cincinnati. It was one of these urban areas in in um, Ohio. And he began to preach and he said, you know, church planning is where it's at because, you know, we don't have to deal with religion and trying to change old churches. And we can just get out there and be radical and design our own programs. And we can give the people the pure." God gospel, without any of this religion, and he just kept going on and telling stories, and he said, if that's something you want to do, if you feel God is tugging at your heart, I want you to come up here and pray, and I remember walking up there, going to the front saying, I want to plant churches, that sounds exactly like what I want to do, I want to start them, I want to see churches start, I haven't even been in Bible college yet, this is what helped me choose a Bible college, and then right there at the altar, God speaks to me and says, I have called you to plant churches churches now look around look around and I began looking around and he said to me he said everyone here is going to begin doing that same thing people here are going to begin preaching the gospel and planting churches some of them are going to be martyred some of them are going to lay their life down for God and you will not see them how I'm already crying right now (laughs) thank you Jesus you will not see them until you get to heaven and then you will rejoice in what I did through your lives that's what he told me can you imagine that if somehow right now I could see where those other people, there was about 200 people at that altar call, if they could see where I was today, if I could see where they were. And, that, and the reason why the Lord told me, He said, don't get discouraged. And, that, and He went on to say, you know, because you're going to face hard times and you're going to think you're alone, but these people are going through the same thing. And that's when I went and found the Bible college and went in Bible college there at uh, our church planning class because I picked it. It was urban and it was about church planning. So, I, you know, God led me to SUM in and, and a church planning class. God began to speak to me and say here's the name of the church and we came up with these ideas and here you are today. Each one of you, God, is giving a calling. Each one of you, God, is putting it inside of your heart. You know it, that you know that you know. Never let go of that. Even though sometimes it can seem so far away. I remember when I was taking plane trips and God said to me, Don't be afraid of this two-hour flight and don't get uneasy. Learn to enjoy these flights and spend time with me. And I remember reading the scripture that says, To the depths of the earth I'm there. Where can I go from your spirit all the way up to the highest of heavens? And I began to determine God is with me me and i'm just a little closer to him now amen and i just began to spend time there because he said one day you're going to travel overseas and i just think about the last trip that we had 15 hours back and forth to delhi and we're sitting in these planes we're rejoicing in god we're, we're sharing stories together we're watching our tv programs we're, we're doing the work of the ministry i'm doing my homework and god prepared me for that day Guys, he's speaking to you. It will continue. And there's, I'm sure there's things that God hasn't even yet revealed to me that I'm going to be doing in the future. Remember that you're called remember where you were when you were called. Remember how he told you what you were going to do. And remember why he brought you to this church specifically, just to take a little time in this chapel. Each person has a ministry you're called to. And I know that this cohort is called to this ministry. What an opportunity to serve. What an opportunity to go around the world. It's already being prepared for you. I know that when I was in your place, I looked for people who would let me plant churches with them. Nancy's even a witness that I looked for that here. And now you guys have that opportunity. I believe this is a modern-day Methodist movement where it's not just about one person. It was never about John Wesley. It was about the many people with him that rose up churches around the world. And I know we can do it. Amen? Remember your calling. Next, that you are equipped... For every good work. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. You are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, called into ministry, and you are equipped for every good work. You need to believe that. You need to believe that just as much as you believe that God is three in one. You need to believe this just as much as you believe that God is coming back again to this earth. Believe Excuse me, that everything you are called to do, you are already equipped to do. And God is teaching you how to use his strength and power. Let me give you an example even before I read this right now. Is Bethany equipped right now with the car and the ability? Uh, Let me say this way. Uh, Is Bethany equipped with the equipment to drive a car? Yes, it has already been given to her. There are cars right now. You got that one wrong. That's okay. Welcome to church where you learn something. It's not, you don't always have to be right. She's already equipped with it. She has a car right now in the garage. She has a car. That's her car. I See, I believe in that. Some of you grew up and your parents said you'll never touch your car. I grew up the opposite. Amen? So I came from a family. That's your car. Now, you get to use it according to certain rules and guidelines, but that's her car. She can drive that car. She can get her license in that car. She can then take that car on trips. But you know what? Right now she doesn't know how to drive that car. So all she's doing now until she's 15 years old, then 16, is she's learning how to use the equipment she's already been given. Now the Bible says when you were saved, you were, oh, let's just go ahead and read it. Somebody say, read it. Okay, all Scripture is God-breathing, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the equipment is already here. We're all just learning how to use it. Oh, come on, think about it, somebody. You're just learning how to use the Holy Spirit, but he's already here. You're just learning how to preach, but it's already there You're just learning how to build a church But all of the provision is already there How many know God doesn't go up to heaven and start looking around for new buildings and new churches and new money and new giftings When he sees you, he's just giving to you what he's already had Oh, praise God, I wish you would believe that today I know that stretches some of your imaginations a little bit uh, too much We think of like God always coming up with it Like, oh God, there's a school bill right here I need help paying the school bill. And we think God's up in heaven. Gee willikers, angels. They have a school bill. What are we going to do about it? Oh, we have to go find some money for them. Let's go find some money. Okay, guys, let's go find it. Okay, here it is. Let's give it to them. Hey, wow, we did it. When you get your school bill, he's already got it paid. It's already paid. Come on, get your faith in this. He's just teaching you how to use your faith to receive it. It's already been paid. Your future plan has already been determined. Your your ministry, your, your wife, your children, it's already been determined. Once you're in his call, he's already set it forth in motion. All you have to do is just learn how to receive it every day. Just receive what you need. It's already there. Look at your neighbor and say, it's already there. And that brings me to the next one because it goes right hand in hand. You are blessed. Some may say I'm blessed. And here's really where the Scripture says it so clearly. Ephesians 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You've already been blessed with everything you need. Oh, I wish you would believe that today. Can you just put your faith in that today? Every prayer request you're already pr- you're praying, there's already an answer waiting for you. I'm just waiting for Bethany to ask me to take her out in the car when she's 50. I'm waiting. It's already here. There is no doubt it's here. I'm just waiting for her to be able to go snowboarding and wakeboarding. I already got the money to buy her wakeboard and snowboard. Are you listening? I'm going to find out this winter if I can start teaching her how to do these things. They say I think it's two or three. You can start. And this winter will probably be her first winter on a snowboard. She's going to learn. And sometimes they got to start with skis, but they're going to learn. And then next year, my friend already told me that for sure at two and a half, three years old, you can start them with skis. It's already there. It's already there. Before she can ever ask, Daddy, can I go wakeboarding, I'm already to take her wakeboarding. I'm already ready to take her snow. Now, you don't want to do that, Lauren. That's okay. I'm already ready. By the time Ryan Sheckler and, uh, and uh, the guy who I really love, the Flying Tomato, who I just forgot, he's snowboarding, Ryan, Sean White. And Ryan Sheckler, by the time they were five years old, they were already skating and doing tricks and doing the snowboarding. I'm telling you, man, people who want to raise up their child prodigies, they start that early. Now, I don't want my children to make this an idol, but I want them to start so early. You know, I don't, I don't have other languages to teach them. You know, other than the Holy Ghost and Jesus, I know which is a lot. I don't, I, don't, I don't have nothing to teach them with mechanics, checking their own oil. I don't have much to give them, but I can give them wakeboarding and snowboarding. So for the rest of their life, and you know there's some girl that goes to the Jesus Culture Church that's a professional snowboarder, and when she uh, puts up her snowboard after the competition, right up here on her snowboard, she has the verses about Jesus right here on her helmet, and then when they snowboard, they get to pick the music that the speakers have on. She picks Jesus Culture music. You can find her testimony on Jesus Culture. My friends, God is able, but my point is, it's already there. It's already there. Bethany's school supplies, already there. Bethany's first grade outfit to show up at home school, already there. Her little outfit, she's going to look cute. It's already there. And I'm not even trying to act like I'm rich. I mean, really, what have I said? You know, a car. I already have a car. You know, what have I said about Kmart, some, some first-grade clothes? What's that, $5? What's a wakeboard for children? What is that, $20? Lessons, $50? All I'm talking about is just a few hundred dollars, but it's already there. Now think about God. Think about all the blessings He has. Think about all the resources that He has. And He says it's already there. I wish I would believe that more because right now we're having to believe God for a lawyer to help get some special use permits for this new building. We're going one step at a time, and now we're finding out that to have as many people here and do the things that we do, we're going to have to register with the city. And they're saying, well, in the low end, it could be four to five thousand dollars in lawyer fees and all that. But if it goes into litigation and some of the people of the city want to fight it, et cetera, well, then it could go up to ten thousand dollars. Well, you know what? I just need to believe it's already paid for because guess what? The thirty-six thousand dollars that we were believing for it sure came in because it was already paid for. And some of you who are saying, man, shucks, I wish I could give into to the building fund. Now here's your chance. You can give to the city permit fund. Here's another opportunity, amen? Another chance to be blessed. And you have part of other ministries. Find ways to give because it's already there. Praise God. He says we are saved. He says we are sanctified. Remember, this is what God says. He said it. God says you are saved. He said you are sanctified. He said you are filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. He said you are called into ministry. He said you are equipped for every good work. He said you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And lastly, He said you are victorious. 1 John chapter 5. 4-5, 4-5, through five, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith, praise the Lord. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he that believes Jesus is the Son of God. And just so you don't think I'm preaching... An easy stroll through life. Revelation twelve, eleven says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not shrink their lives so much, uh, love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You may even have to suffer martyrdom, but you still overcome. You win in Jesus' name. Would you stand up with me today? Praise God. Hallelujah. Someone uh, come to the front. Maybe Lauren on the piano. Can you believe who God says you are today? Believe who he says you are. Do not say who you think you are. Do not disbelieve who God says you are. Believe what God said. God said you're saved. You repented. You confessed your sins. You're saved. You are saved, and you're not going to lose your salvation like you lose a set of keys. You're secure in Christ. If you sin, you can be forgiven. You are sanctified. Just go to the strings, please, and just play something soft on the strings. You are sanctified. That means God, if she doesn't know how to get the strings, somebody help her out. That means that God says, I am changing you. Who changes you? God. Who will make me faithful to my wife to the day I go to heaven with Jesus? God. Yeah, I'm tempted, but he'll sanctify me and keep me. Who's going to keep me as a happy pastor that keeps getting nicer and nicer and more gentler and kinder as time? God, who's going to change you? Who's going to keep changing you? God, thank you. Who is the one right now That has sanctified you, Jesus. Now, who's the one that fills you with the Holy Ghost of power? God, you are filled with it. Place your hand over your inner being right now and say, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost of power. Amen. That means no weapon formed against you can prosper. That means you're more than a conqueror. That means that anything that comes against you, you will conquer it in Jesus' name. The Bible says that you are called into ministry. You just didn't eat some bad pizza that day. You didn't just make that up. You know, you know, you wouldn't be here unless you knew that God had spoke to you. Lily had a dream. God spoke to her just as real as he spoke to me that day. God gave her a dream of her planting Metro Praise. That is a dream from God. Nobody put that in her head. Every single one of you have an opportunity. I had an opportunity where God spoke to you. and never. You should never forget that. And now, what has God done? God has given you everything you need, equipped you for every good work. So, what's a good work to do today? you got to go do some schoolwork? That sounds like a good work, Well, you're equipped to do that. God's already given you everything you need. Ask Him, and He'll teach you how to receive what he has. He'll say, yeah, I gave you a brain and your brain works like this. And if you pray before you memorize and then you memorize two weeks before the test and then you review, your brain will receive it. You see, God taught me how to do it. Or God will say, you know what, I want you to ask your friend for help because I've taught them how to do it. I've given them the tools and now they're going to give it to you. Still, it's already there. And then the Bible says that you are blessed. With spiritual blessings in Christ, every spiritual blessing, put her up just a little bit, please. Everything we need spiritually, it's already given to us. For Nancy and I to have a happy marriage, that's a spiritual blessing. Isn't that a spiritual blessing? That's something you can't buy at the store in a materialism. You can't buy a happy marriage. Well, it's a spiritual blessing. It's already given to us. How about being moms and dads? How about being ministers? How about being worship leaders? How about knowing how to play the piano with the keys on uh, strings? How about God's equipping her to do this? And if she seeks the Lord and she practices every spiritual blessing to make that keyboard sing and bring the presence of God, is there. It's already there. All she has to do is ask for it, receive it, practice, get to know that keyboard, use the brain God gave her, and it will work out okay. Because God called her. And God gave her every spiritual blessing. Amen. So there ain't nothing. That's a good southern term. There ain't nothing that God can't do through you that He told you you're going to do. If He told you you're going to do it, you will do it. Seriously. He may say to you, I'm sending you to China. Like you're going to learn Mandarin Chinese. Yeah, He'll send you there. He'll do it. He'll equip you. And then the last thing the Bible says is we're victorious. No matter what situation you're going right now, going through, don't let it change your identity. Listen to this statement. Somebody told this to me, and I've never forgot it. I want you to hear it today. Don't let your circumstances or situations dictate your identity. Just because you are suffering financially right now, don't say you're broke. You are rich in Christ. Just because right now you're suffering with an illness, that's not who you are. You are healed in Christ. Just because right now a ministry is small, don't say I'm a pastor of five people. You are a pastor of multitudes, a discipler of the nations. Don't let your situation dictate who you are. Just because Nancy and I have gone through arguments in our marriage, that doesn't mean we have a rocky marriage. We have a blessed marriage. Just because sometimes Bethany doesn't obey us, we don't call her a bad child. We have a blessed child. We win. We win. Hallelujah. Get that in your spirit. You win. We know how this thing ends, and we're the winners in Christ. Without Him, we're nothing. But with Christ, we're the winners. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, I thank you today, God, that you've blessed us and that you've spoken to us this word today about who we are. Just play it a little bit faster, girl. Come on. Just play it a little bit faster and a little bit louder. We're just going to begin to lift up our own song of worship to God today. We're just going to begin to lift up to him today what we need help believing, what we need to have imparted to us. Come on, if you need the revelation of who you are today, God, just say, God, help me believe. Help me believe, Jesus. Put her up a whole lot more. I just want to have just that sound in here. Hallelujah. And just stay on one key, girl. Just stay on one key. Just stay in on one key. There you go. There you go. And just play it like that, like you're picking on a guitar. There you go. Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Let's just call out to the Lord. Some of you just want to thank him. That's okay.